Welcome to Wild Animals, crazy stories about animals told by the people who study them. I'm your host, Roland Case. Welcome to Wild Animals. Today we're going to hear about Josephine, the most reliable sea turtle. Hi everyone, welcome to Wild Animals. Very excited here today to have Dr. Kate Mansfield, the director of the Marine Turtle Research Group at the University of Central Florida. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks, Roland. Cool, so we're talking about turtles in the ocean. Uh, What kind of turtles in particular were you studying for this, uh, this story? I was working with uh, some loggerhead sea turtles. In this case, it was an adult female that we found in the Chesapeake Bay. Okay, and so uh, tell us more about loggerhead. Uh, Are they a a sort of a global species or are they only found in the Eastern United States? Loggerheads are global. They're found throughout the world. They have a lot of different rookeries in different places and along the western Atlantic coast and the east coast of the U.S. we have a lot of loggerheads in the area. They're considered threatened species uh, but they do nest from about Virginia all the way south through Florida. Okay so are they kind of the most common turtle you might see off the coast of the United States? Right now, yes, and historically, at least within the last 30, 40 years, yes, but we're seeing a upswing in green turtles as well, so they have some competition. Okay, cool. And uh, so what was your research focused on for this particular project? For this project in the Chesapeake Bay, I was working with some local fishermen, some pound net fishermen. Uh, Pound nets are, in the Chesapeake Bay at least, uh, an historic fishery. They'd been worked in the bay for about 200 plus years, and the nets themselves are semi-permanent, so they are kind of put into the sediment uh, using some large uh, poles, usually like utility poles, and they string nets along them, and they stay there for a period of time. Uh, The fishermen are licensed for particular spots, so these are static uh, gear uh, types that uh, don't really move year to year to year. Okay, and so the fishermen go out there every morning and see what's in their net, basically. Yes, they'll go out, uh, I think, as, I, as far as I remember, they usually go out, I think, close to slack tide, so it may be twice a day, maybe once a day, and the nets are soaking all the time. What's interesting about these nets is that they are um, set at least perpendicular from shore. So they have a series of uh, poles that are set kind of out maybe 100 yards from shore, and then they uh, string the nets along them to kind of create a fence. But then at the end, the deepest part, they have what's called a heart. So the poles are set in a heart shape, and at the bottom of the heart or that tip, it's a trap. And that trap opens into what's called the pound, uh, or it looks like a net that is a live well. So any fish that will swim into that uh, first hundred yards, it's called the leader, will behaviorally go deeper. And that funnels them into that heart or funnel shape through the trap and then into the live well pound. And then the fishermen go out to um, get the fish out of them. They don't need to go... Uh, you know, every three hours or something because the fish are all alive in there. And what they do is they lift up that net that acts as a bowl and then the fish get closer and closer to the surface. They get little John boats in there and they take shovels and just shovel the fish into the net. 
unfortunately, uh, the sea turtles have figured out this game, and they will go into these pounds, and it's like a buffet for them, and oh. they'll eat all the fish or anything that is trapped in there. I didn't think sea turtles ate fish. Well, I have a, <laughs> yes. You always think of like turtles, oh, feed them a piece of lettuce kind of thing, but. Well, the, the pound nuts are non-targeted uh, for a particular species. So just about anything can get in there. They may eat other crabs or invertebrates or something that go in there that is part of their regular diet. However, we, a colleague of mine who actually works with me here at UCF, She's a diet specialist. She did her master's on sea turtle diet in the Chesapeake Bay and did document turtles eating fish. Okay. And she is documenting that down here in Florida as well. So, so the, the, these, these giant fish traps are set up. They're basically collecting fish and all kinds of marine life all day long. And the turtles realize this is an easy place to go get a meal. Pretty much, yes. And so and what, is, what do the fishermen do when they find a turtle in their net? Typically, they would just plop them out. They would grab them, put them out of the net. And the kicker here is that sea turtles have very strong fidelity to particular foraging areas. And part of my research, I was doing my dissertation at the time, was to examine the foraging site fidelity and overwintering behavior of sea turtles that were found in the Chesapeake Bay. Okay. And she was part of that study, it turned out. Right. Okay. And so, so, so is that the first time you met Josephine, the, the star of our story today, was inside one of, the, one of those pound nets? Yes. And we had a cooperative fisherman who had a series of nets up on the Virginia side of the Potomac River. And he was down at the mouth of the Potomac River. He had, I think, you know, between five and seven nets set at that time. This was back in 1999 through the early 2000s. And so he had been, he and his family had been collecting turtles for my lab for several decades. And there was a wow. long-term mark recapture and, uh, program that was going on with flipper tags, at least, and to get a feel for turtle interactions with pound nets throughout the bay. Okay, cool. So were you there when, when uh, did you go into the net with him to get the turtle? I did not go into the net with him on that one. I did see him uh, operate it, I guess, or do some of the um, fish extraction, I guess. But we would always drive up. He would give us a call anytime he had a sea turtle, and we would drive the hour or two up to the Potomac River and go to his uh, landing site, his docks, and pick up any turtles, bring them back down to our lab and hold on to them, take our measurements, do what we needed to do. And we essentially relocated them to the York River, which was kind of in the southern part, portion of the Virginia part of the Chesapeake Bay, okay. and then so, eventually release them. So you drive up and he's just got a boat full of turtles then? <laughs> yep, or they'd be ready for us on a dock or in a, in a bin for us, pretty much. And wow. we would just put them in the back of the pickup truck and drive back down to our greenhouse where we had some tanks and put them in there. Wow, that's fantastic for you as, as a scientist to have the assistance of fishermen to do all the hard work and they just give you a call when they have a, a dock full of turtles. It was actually phenomenal. I learned so much from the fishermen. We had two families that were still giving us turtles over the course of my dissertation down there, and okay. it was wonderful. Cool. And so what happened next with Josephine? Well, Josephine showed up again in 1999. She had originally been captured in the same, uh, by the same fisherman in 1994, but she hadn't been seen between 1994 and 1995, or sorry, 1994 and 1999. 
she was captured by him. It was my first full summer, I think, in uh, my program. And he called us up, went up, and that was the very first sea turtle that I uh, had an opportunity to satellite tag as okay. part of the study that I was doing. Cool. And so tell us about these, these satellite tags. The tags were old school. They were old Talonix tags. They looked like uh, small bricks, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we would basically glue them to the shells of the sea turtles with hard epoxy and send them on their way. And how long would they stay on the turtles? It varied. Uh, it depended upon how well we prepped the shell. It depended upon the behavior of the turtles. Uh, but we would have tracks for upwards of you know, half a year to up to four years at least. Okay, right, because these turtles are still growing every year, right? So it's kind of hard Some. to keep something glued on the shell. Most of the turtles in the Chesapeake Bay were considered juveniles. They were not yet adult-sized, so they were, I think the average was around 60 some odd, 68 centimeters straight carapace length. Uh, adult size is about 90 centimeters, but in Josephine's okay. case, she was actually up in the 90s, I believe. So she was certainly an adult size. She was one of the 5% of turtles that we encountered that were adults in the Chesapeake Bay. And how, how long do these turtles live for? We don't know. It's assumed that sea turtles live as long as humans. I think there okay. have been wow. some that were in captivity for a little bit longer. However, we really don't know. We don't know age of maturity. We don't, you know, with a, an exact window um, of their age of maturity, we don't know how long they live. We don't know if females go through the equivalent of menopause or senescence. There's so much we don't know about turtles. Wow. Sea turtles. Wow. Cool. And so what did this tracking tag tell you about Josephine? We put the tag on, or the first tag we put on her in 1999, and we brought her back down to our uh, our field, or our, uh, we brought her back down to the York River and our greenhouse where we had tanks, and then we released her, and within about 14 days, she was right back up in the same net. Okay. And... <laughs> So then we go up there, collect her again, bring her back down, hold her for a little bit of time, release her, and again, she's back up in the same net. And it was kind of fun. It turned into a bit of a game with the fisherman. He'd call up and be like, hey, darling, I've got your turtle again. Yeah. <laughs> and so we'd go up and get her. Uh, what we didn't know at the time was that Josephine was a she, so the fisherman was calling the turtle Joe. Okay. And so that took a couple years before we figured that out, that she was a and how does one figure out that Joe is Josephine? We worked with a vet who had a portable ultrasound kit or oh, unit. Cool. And yeah. so he, it was his Dr. Bob George. Uh, he was on my committee. He was also the local dog and cat vet in the county as well. Okay. And <laughs> Double duty worked, on the coast, right? <laughs> he was great. Uh, and he also worked with the local rehab centers and was a sea turtle uh, rehab specialist. So he brought the kit one day and we looked at her abdomen and could see that she had egg follicles that were uh, still had some small eggs associated with them. And so we had assumed that perhaps she had been nesting early in the season, then came up to the Chesapeake Bay post-nesting to forage before she went to wherever, whatever her post-nesting uh, and winter, overwinter sites were. Right. So do you think she just kept going back to the same place for the free food? Likely. I mean, if you find a good spot, then why uh, ignore it if right. you know that you have food available to you? 
And what was neat was that she showed up again every single year while I was completing my dissertation. I finished my dissertation in 2006. Okay. So I had an opportunity every single year to satellite tag her and recover some of the tags when she came back that may have uh, crapped out for some reason and yeah. then put a new tag on her. Okay. And so where, where did she go when, when uh, she wasn't in the net? When she wasn't in the net, she was in the net most of the time. So most of the year, she just yeah. kept cir circling around and feeding on this guy's fish. At least during the summer season. So okay. what is kind of critical about the Chesapeake Bay is that it has fantastic resources for sea turtle. There are sea turtles, there are blue crabs, there are horseshoe crabs, there are whelk that are all part of loggerhead diet in the mid-Atlantic. So it makes sense for those guys if they can't stay there in the winter, the temperatures get far too cold. So they oh. have to migrate south and okay. they migrate south of Cape Hatteras and many turtles will just hang out off of the coast of the Carolinas on the western edge of the Gulf Stream because it's nice and warm. And then when temperatures rise in the spring, they follow that uh, thermocline of about 18 degrees uh, Celsius to 22 degrees Celsius. And they'll enter into the Chesapeake Bay, Delaware Bay. Uh, some go all the way up to New England as well. So it's a very seasonal group of turtles that will enter into the Chesapeake Bay, and many will pop in to the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay as they're heading north, as the temperatures slowly warm up in the spring, and then they migrate south in the fall. Okay, so they're basically moving up and down the East Coast as it warms up and cools down. Yep. Um, and so how, how many turtles have you tracked in this area over the years? As part of my dissertation, I'm trying to remember, but it was close to, I want to say 60, maybe 50, 60 sea turtles in that uh -huh. area. I was tracking juveniles. I was tracking some of the nesters that were occurring on the um, lower portion of the Virginia coast, uh, south of the Chesapeake Bay. And more recently, I've been tracking some little baby turtles that have been reared up for several months and uh, that had hatched out from some of those nests on the yeah. Chesapeake Bay and further south. Wow, so, tracking the baby turtles. Yes. That must, they, they, you're no longer using a small brick for, for that tracking technology. <laughs> no, we had to resort to a very small uh, tag that was solar powered that didn't have huge batteries that would pretty much sink those little babies. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. And um, so do you name all of your turtles? <laughs> One thing that was uh, my, my former doctorate advisor, Dr. Jack Music, was not real keen on giving the turtles human names. So I knew Josephine by SSB 919, okay. which is one of her flipper tags. Uh, but because Fred Jett, our cooperative fisherman, had named her, we went with Josephine as well. Yep, with Josephine, yeah. Yeah. And so um, you mentioned another uh, earlier, another crazy story about a tag, um, a turtle that, that had a tag, I guess, and then the tag dropped off, but kept moving around. Part, one of, as part of my dissertation, I was tagging a number of turtles from the Chesapeake Bay, mostly found in pound nets. And there was a juvenile, I think the turtle's name was Dewey. And I put a satellite tag on Dewey and Dewey hung out in the Chesapeake Bay and then eventually went up to the Delaware Bay. But unfortunately, Dewey died and was a stranded turtle that was verified by the stranding network, but they didn't recapture uh, or collect the tag for me. Um, okay. so, so, that, so that means someone, someone saw a dead turtle washed up on the beach and called a phone number or something like that. 
Sort of, yeah. The turtle decomposed, the tag yeah. fell off, and was partially buried in the kind of the low tide uh, area. So every spring tide, I was getting, for about a year, I was getting a few hits from the tag, oh, okay. but so not enough to get a real good latitude and longitude. Uh, but every time it was exposed, but then about a year later, all of a sudden I'm starting to get movement on this tag and okay. I plotted it out and it had moved into an area in New Jersey and it was traveling around in a small town in New Jersey. Okay. And so I figured maybe somebody found it. Right. Right. So you figure someone, someone saw the turtle, uh, saw the tag washed up in the beach or in the, the intertidal picked it up and thought, this is cool, and brought it with them to New Jersey. Yes. Did, did uh, the tags have your phone number or any other identifier on it? It did, but the tag at that point had been so knocked around that that information had rubbed off. So I was hoping to get the tag back because we could have them uh, refurbished and then I'd be able to put it on another turtle. So right. save couple thousand dollars in money or in costs. Right. And so I contacted the local newspaper. It was this real small town and uh, told them the story, asked if I could run an ad or something to basically announce, I know there's a tag in your town. Can you please contact me? I'd love to get it back. Yeah. And they they loved the story. And so they did a whole front page <laughs> spread and I sent them the latitude and longitude of all the different movements of the turtles. Yeah. And they ended up doing kind of this uh, huge crime scene sort of map of where the tag had been over the course of about two weeks. Right. And it was pretty fantastic. We kind of narrowed it down to a, a neighborhood and maybe a couple houses that were clustered on a block and right a couple of uh, bar establishments and a few other places, grocery stores in town. And I got a call the next, the morning that this ran and it was from a couple who had picked up the newspaper and they had found the tag and the gentleman who had found it had been uh, at his beach hut or house. Uh, he had seen it. He thought it was an artifact of some sort, put it in the front seat of his truck and then drove around town for a little while. Right. And they thought it was kind of hilarious, but it turns out that the gentleman who found it, he was lovely. He uh, had been going through a divorce, and okay. I had tracked him to his lady friend's house. No way. And oh my goodness. to some bar establishments. And uh, he was also a, um, a former, or he was a, a U.S. vet, and was a little concerned about uh, folks from the government knowing his whereabouts. And I had been working for the National Marine Fisheries Service at the time. Uh -oh. He appreciate the, pr appreciated the irony and the hilarity of this. Okay, so he, he, didn't, he didn't think that this was somehow some kind of secret plot. He recognized that no. he just picked this thing up. And he, he must have kind of known it was a tracking tag when he picked it up. I didn't get a sense one way or the other. He knew it was something of interest. and. Right. But there were no, the markings that were on there, I think it only still had maybe four digits of my telephone number, and that was, okay. that oh, was right. it. But it was great. We ended up getting the tag back. I refurbished it, and then I put it out on a sea turtle in the uh, Gulf of Mexico from Kuwaitan Island, and okay. we named the turtle Wilhelmina after okay. the gentleman who found it, whose name was William. Nice. Oh, that's great. So, but imagine, yeah, go, open, go, walking down at the end of your driveway, picking up the newspaper and seeing this mystery of movement and it's y your movement over the last couple of days. That would yeah. be, 
um, uh, a pretty, pretty funny experience. Um, Busted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, so, um, uh, Josephine was super reliable for you going back to the same net. So I guess you were able to put a new tags on her as tags would wear out or as fall, fall off. Um, when was the last time you saw her for the, the fisherman? Is she still at the net? She, the last time I saw her was, I believe, 2005. I finished my dissertation in 2006. I was able to put satellite tags on her or the tags were still active from 2009 until 2005. And it was kind of fun because we would try to keep her down at the, um, at our, at our field, uh, field site or our tanks for as long as possible because she would basically do a UE and head right back up into those nets. It yeah. got to the point where we were painting notes to the fisherman, hi Fred, <laughs> uh, in anti-fallant paint on the tags and he'd call us up and laugh. But it was uh, 2006, the very last week that I was a student. It was the week of my defense that I received the very last transmission from Josephine. And she was uh, down, I think, off of the Carolinas. She overwintered uh, off the co coast of North Carolina on the western edge of the Gulf Stream. And she was probably waiting for the temperatures to warm up to head back into the Chesapeake Bay and Fred's nets. Right. Right. So is, is, do you know, is Fred still, still fishing? You know, I don't know. I haven't been in contact with the families up there that we worked with pretty much since I moved away. Uh, but I did dedicate my dissertation to the watermen and the pound net fishermen right. in the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, I know that the fishery itself was in decline for many decades. Mm -hmm. They were some of the last families still, uh, still fishing in that way. And I hope that they're doing well and I hope that they're successful and profitable. Right. And uh, not getting all their fish eaten by turtles. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, so does Josephine have some other tag that's more permanent than the tracking tag? I mean, if someone caught her today, would they recognize that this is a turtle that's been studied in the past? I hope so. So with all of the turtles that we were capturing, and we still do that now, it's a kind of a standard uh, uh, technique, but we put flipper tags on the front flippers of each of the turtles. Uh, these are cattle ear tags. They have uh, a unique set of letters and numbers, and there's a national, at least, database that keeps track of all of these animals. So if she ever washed up somewhere uh, and still had the flipper tags, which was SSB919, uh, she would hopefully be recognized. We also used pit tags, passive integrative or integrated transponder tags. Yeah. These are the same things as the chips that uh, vets use to put into cats and dogs. If they run away, uh, you can scan them and figure out where they are. Right. Uh, Josephine only had one front flipper. Uh, that may have explained why she took a five-year oh. hiatus from 1994 to 1999. Uh, she had both front flippers in 94, but was missing one uh -oh. in 99. Maybe, maybe ran yeah. to a shark or something. So the pit tag was in one of our, the remaining front flipper. Right. Okay. Well, so she, you originally caught her in 94. You last got a ping from her GPS unit in 2006, but given how long sea turtles can live, she might still be out there wearing her old flipper tag and maybe, maybe um, someone else will find her eventually washed up on the beach or caught in another pound net. Hopefully, yeah. Cool. Or if we're lucky, she'll be observed nesting somewhere, maybe in the Carolinas uh, right. every two to three years. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on and sharing uh, the story of Josephine, the most reliable sea turtle, 
and uh, all the other sea turtles you've tracked over the years. Um, we'll be sure to put a link to, to your work in the, in the show notes. People can check it out if they want to learn more. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Wild Animals is a production of the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences and North Carolina State University with production help from Aben Crawford.